capture the adrenaline that's shooting off in the electricity, he captures it right there on paper. Ladies and gentlemen, Al Hirschfeld. Well, I've drawn ever since I could hold a pencil. Actually, all kids draw. I just never stopped. Welcome back to another episode of the Hirschfeld Century Podcast. I'm David Leopold, the creative director of the Al Hirschfeld Foundation. And I am Catherine Eastman. I'm the archives manager. And we're here to talk about all things Hirschfeld. And a lot of things 20th century entertainment. And Hirschfeld's line on those particular things. Right, right. Uh, today's episode is really exciting. I oh, say. it has it has everything in it. It, it does. <laughs> it has uh, it's a political thriller. Yeah, it has uh, spaceships, spaceships, assassinations. Yes, uh, foreign involvement in elections. What? Yes, no, it's true. It's <laughs> communism. Uh, uh, communism is involved. Uh, the uh, there's uh, music involved. Brainwashing. Brainwashing is a very big part of it. And also Seventeen magazine. Right. It's got everything. Everything. (laughs) And what is that topic? We are going to be talking today about Hirschfeld's drawings of the 1962 film, The Manchurian Candidate, which was produced uh, by Frank Sinatra and starred Frank Sinatra. Right, right. So we're also going to talk general Frank Sinatra things. They, uh, Yeah, because uh, Sinatra and Hirschfeld had a very long relationship, uh, about 60 years. And they were friends with each other. And uh, uh, we'll talk about all of it today. Yep. Uh, so we might as well start at the beginning. That's always a great place to start, I have found. And <laughs> uh, and the start of Sinatra and Hirschfeld starts in 1944 in a very innocuous way. Hirschfeld was uh, uh, commissioned by CBS Radio to do drawings of all the different radio shows that they were doing uh, that, that year. It's about 25 different shows. I think it's a lot more than that. Is it? I think it's like 40. Wow. It's a, we have, I mean, because we have all those postcards in the archive. And there's a lot of them. Um, they're, they're wonderful. He did individual really drawings, and these were made into postcards that yeah. uh, were sent to radio stations to send out to people. I know, like the Aldridge family's on one. Yes, the Aldridge uh, family. Dateline. Stage Door Canteen. Yeah. Uh, Edward there's one Armour. of Al Hirschfeld. Yes, well, there's one of Hirschfeld. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Ed Murrow. Yeah, I bug. mean, all uh, suspense. They're they're yeah. all there. They're, it's, uh, and Frank Sinatra. Yeah. And Frank Sinatra, right. he hosted a radio show. He was quite, it was, he's really just getting started. Uh, and just to remind you for where Hirschfeld is in the history, mm. Hirschfeld's only been working for 24 years in 1944. Uh, so he's very well established. Um, he's done a lot of work for uh, film. He's done a lot of work, obviously, of uh, the Broadway theater. Mm-hmm. Um, he's already started doing album covers uh, because they start a few years before the, uh, 1944. Yeah. So so his Al- work is yeah. everywhere. Right. Album covers what start what, 38? 38. Yeah. Alex Steinweiss does the first okay. uh, And Hirschfeld, we think there's a Porgy and Bess one, is that right? There is a Porgy and Bess one. The earliest, that's the earliest one we've found so far, yeah. which is uh, 1942. Yeah, which is still really early. But it's possible that there are earlier ones that we just don't know about. Sure. We have uh, we have uh, purchase orders uh, from right. Columbia and other uh, record labels for artwork, and we don't know how that artwork was used. 
right. uh, because it's not specified. So right. um, let's just say he was a very early adapter to... Um, one of the first uh, on the scene. Yeah, uh, for album covers. <laughs> yeah. um, but what what he did, his first one, drawing of Sinatra, as I said, Sinatra was just another guy who had a radio show on CBS radio. And <laughs> uh, I'm sure Hirschfeld didn't take great notice of it. I mean, he understood what popular music was and what was happening, but he, he was a Bobby Soxer. Hirschfeld yeah. at this point is is in his 40s and that would have been like teenager music Uh, and uh, so um, it probably at first uh, Sinatra didn't have a big effect on Hirschfeld's world Um, but within two years he does a great drawing of Sinatra for Seventeen magazine Uh, as said in a previous episode uh, from the very first issue of Seventeen magazine Hirschfeld had a drawing in every issue for the first two years, and almost exclusively these were jazz figures. They're wonderful color works, mm-hmm. uh, line works, but in color um, that uh, really it was uh, – he did one of Sinatra. He did one of Glenn Miller, right. uh, Artie Shaw, Goodman. Uh, Duke Ellington, right, right. Uh, George Gershwin, uh, really. And not only were these great drawings that the magazine loved, but Hirschfeld himself – loved these drawings and had a number of them framed and hanging in his library in his home for many, many years. And this drawing of Sinatra was made into a print, a limited edition. Much later. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. uh, Yeah, about, uh, about... 50 years later, it was made into a, a print, but it was such a great image of Sinatra. Um, uh, it, it was decided that would be worthy of a print. Right. Um, and then, of course, he was drawing Sinatra for MGM films because uh, you have to remember that starting in 1927, Hirschfeld started doing artwork for MGM films. And in the 30s, he was considered... Uh, an MGM artist, even though he was working for other studios and right. three different New York newspapers and magazines, but people saw him as an MGM artist like we would see him today as a New York Times artist because mm. his work is, is is so ubiquitous. He, he, he did drawings of, you know, uh, like 30 or 40% of all the films that they put out wow. in, in that period. And they were churning them out then. Yeah, well, about one a week. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, you know, uh, Till the Clouds Roll By, is, is uh, he did several posters for that. Um, an earlier one, Anchors Away, uh, The Kissing ban- Bandit. These were all drawings that were done. And, and, and these were all, you know, actually uh, uh, milestones in Sinatra's career because he was just getting better and better known. Right. Um, so Sinatra was never in, on theater. He was never on Broadway. Right. He was never on Broadway, right. although he did do a TV production of Our Town which, not surprisingly, Hirschfeld did a drawing of, did right. an advertisement for it, more mm-hmm. than one, actually. Uh, so, it, you know, it, the closest that uh, Sinatra got to being in the theater, there's mm-hmm. a Hirschfeld drawing of it. Right. <laughs> and this wasn't a, a, a something that Sinatra or Hirschfeld had planned, but it was a, it was a sort of a, a cause, a symptom, really, of the fact that uh, Sinatra was becoming more and more famous and who better to draw who I mean Hirschfeld was the court artist of popular culture in the 20th century so when Hirschfeld did your drawing you know you had you had arrived on the scene right and just I'm just thinking now there's also a TV guy drawing of uh, Sinatra oh yeah but that's but that's later too oh yeah no I I thought we were just kind of Oh yeah, there's a, there's a lot of drawings of Frank Sinatra. No, uh, there are to be exact uh, forty five drawings wow. of, of that's Sinatra a, that's a lot. that cover about sixty years of his career. Wow! And uh, uh, Sinatra loved them. 
He was a big collector of uh, his drawings and over the years acquired a number of them. Mm. And, you know, he, he loved Hirschfeld. Uh, and in fact, he, he, he so enjoyed Hirschfeld's art, but as well as, as Hirschfeld the man, that in 1962, Hirschfeld got a phone call and asked him, actually it was probably 1961, he got a phone call from Sinatra saying, Al, why don't you come out and do some drawings on the set of my new film? Now, Al had been working for United Artists uh, since the mid-1950s. He had worked for all the big studios in the 20s, 30s, 40s. But by the mid-50s, the studio system uh, mm -hmm. and the big studios as, we, as they were known at that time were starting to disintegrate. There were antitrust suits. They couldn't own the theaters as well as provide the films to them. And it's a long story that we won't go into right. here. But uh, the studio system that had supplied so much work to Al uh, for decades was disintegrating. Right. And again, I think another artist may have sort of taken that as a sign that that, that period of his career was done. Instead, Hirschfeld's work was so popular that the art director of a new and uh, up-and-coming studio, United Artists, which had taken its name from a much older studio that uh, Al had done drawings for oh, in the 1920s. Oh, that's interesting. Now, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I thought it was the same United Artists. I thought, I thought they had, like, sold it. Um, I think United Artists survived in one way or another for many years, but, but this, this was a, not the Chaplin, Fairbanks, right, right. Pickford. They were no longer involved right. in it. Right. I thought they had like sold it in the early 50s when Chaplin kind of left. Yeah. Uh, Arthur Krim and uh, a couple of people uh, purchased it, and okay. they started to make independent totally films. They were, okay. they were a studio without a studio. Right, and I think that's what the original United Artist was. Exactly. Was a way for Chaplin and everybody to make their own films and not have to report back to anyone. Or... Right, and not have the overhead of right. carrying a studio right, right. Uh, and all the things that would be involved with that. They, each production would sort of create its own sort of filming right. space. Look at um, this. This is why I like the podcast, because I still learn things. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So sorry about that. That's not really a sidetrack. That's a good piece of information. No, no. It, it, it really is. Well, so United Artists in the late, uh, in the mid, uh, <clears throat> so United Artists uh, in the mid-1950s started pr providing essentially a space for um well-established stars uh, and and ones like Burt Lancaster who were really sort of coming into their own, like Frank Sinatra, mm. to make their own films right. and, and to do it their way. Right. And a lot of these, at least the ones that Hirschfeld drew, were very dramatic movies. Yeah. Um, like uh, The Defiant Ones. Sure. Um, what's the Helen Keller? Oh, Miracle Worker, right, which is right. also 1962. Also yeah. uh, Summertime with uh, uh, Catherine Hepburn. Right. Um, so that that's another interesting aspect for the big studios. Hirschfeld was often called upon to do drawings of the musicals, comedies, the comedies, right, you know, right. things like that. And here he now switches to working with uh, United Artists, and he still does musicals right. and he still does comedies, but he does a tremendous number of uh, of dramas. Yeah, of uh, really the message movies of the period. Elmer Gantry, um, Miracle Worker is, right. is one it's of them. It's really interesting to see because you don't normally see caricature or you know what we would think of caricature as 
being dramatic or serious or, right. you know, message sending. And, I mean, Defiant Ones is one of my favorite Hirschfeld drawings of all time also. Uh, but it's so serious and so powerful. Um, well, and it so goes to the heart. he do the musicals and, and he can also do the dramas. I mean, right. we talked about that too with Tennessee Williams where, you know, it's not the larger than life characters necessarily. It's, it's know, the characters. It's powerful stuff. It's, it, yeah. And that's... So as as we've said before, he was called a caricaturist. He accepted that, but what he was really was trying to capture was the character of the performer or that the character that they were playing. And so whether it was the funniest show on earth or the most tragic, mm. there was a character to be drawn there, and that was fodder for Hirschfeld's pen. Mm. Right. So he gets this phone call from Frank Sinatra. <laughs> He's sitting in his barber chair. Uh, he worked in a barber chair, as I think many people know, uh, at his drawing board. He gets a phone call, and Sinatra invites him out to the set of this new movie. It's a political thriller. It turns out to be the Manchurian Candidate. Where and was the set? The set was out in California. Oh, I thought it was in Texas. No. On that trip, does he go to... No, no, that's another trip uh, for United Artists where he goes down to Texas. Alamo. Alamo. John Wayne's the Alamo. All right. Sorry. Um, So he's in California. uh, Now, Hirschfeld didn't fly. Uh, He had an inner ear issue and he didn't fly. So he had to take the train out. So he takes a train out. takes about four days to get out to uh, Hollywood. But that doesn't matter to Hirschfeld. Uh, It's an assignment and he's looking forward to it. Because Hirschfeld loved what he did, and 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 performers, you know, people in the industry loved having Hirschfeld on the scene because a they knew that his drawing was going to create interest in whatever they were doing, but he was a fun guy to be with, and uh, and by 1962 he was already a legend in his own time, although right. he didn't see himself that way. Right. Um, and a lot of people thought he was just a lot of fun to be with, and so he goes out there and he does. All kinds of drawings of the different. Uh, he does drawings of Angela Lansbury. We actually still have the sketchbook. Yeah, uh, for what he saw out there, and he's just capturing all these details of the set of Manchurian Candidate. Cameras. It, there's there's drawings of like how the cameras look. Yeah. There's drawings. I mean, just everything. He records everything. All the little details. He yeah. was a great observer. I mean, that's the other thing that makes his drawing so compelling today and so much of an archive of what has happened because he's got all these telling details. A lot right. of times it's how a performer is standing or holding their arms or something like that. But a lot of times also it's what's in the set, you know, right. what was in the uh, what was going on around her, or a piece of costume or something. He was very good at capturing that. You know, he was right. a, he you know, his eyes were 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 taking it all in mm-hmm. and, and he, he was, never wore glasses he did so wear no, glasses for oh, a period oh, of time uh, in the 70s right yes and then he decided he didn't need him anymore he decided he didn't need him anymore and, and <laughs> no he uh he actually you know he got cataracts late in life mm-hmm. and uh when it started to happen to him he just assumed that he was getting older Right, that makes and, sense. And he, you know, it came with the territories. When you're in your 90s, you may not see as well as uh, when you were in your 20s, 30s or something. And uh, finally, his wife said to him, you should really go to an eye doctor and get that checked out. Well, it turned out to be a cataract. It was removed without any complications. Mm-hmm. And Hirschfeld couldn't believe that he had eyesight in both of his eyes back. And he, you know, went right back to what he was doing. And the drawings were great. But this is a man at 99 and a half who did not need a pair of glasses. Yeah, that's crazy. 
It happens. Yeah. Hirschfeld's living proof of it. <laughs> but anyway, we've digressed. Yeah, sorry. So Hirschfeld goes out and uh, and does all these sketches on the set. And at, just like he was ca- covering an out-of-town tryout, to be honest with you. He makes all these sketches. Then he goes back to New York to his studio and collates them. He has some photographs. Right. He likes to always have photographs. He claimed he had a faulty memory, which was not true. I <laughs> uh, wanted to make sure he got every single... The details. Little detail, right? You know, the, yeah. he was he was he knew that there was power in the details, and he right. wanted to make sure he got it right. right. So uh, he the first drawing that he does is a it's a totally great drawing. It's uh, all the members of the cast sitting around a table uh, with a little radio on the table. Mm-hmm. And why are they doing this? Because it turns out it's February twentieth, nineteen sixty-two, and John Glenn is orbiting the Earth for the first time in the Friendship Seven, and they stopped action on the movie set so they could listen, listen to, to this it. historic moment, uh, and uh, and. And Hirschfeld recognized that as a great thing to do a drawing of, right? Because that would get that would get run in a lot of papers Definitely. because it was it was related to current events. Right. So not only did the producer, in, in this case Sinatra, get a great drawing, but he got a great drawing that people would run. Now these drawings, again. They appeared in publications all over the country and really all over the world. So where would uh, like a movie drawing like this uh, be published? Um, Newspapers uh, who were saying, oh, Frank Sinatra is working on this new film or Mm. here's Frank Sinatra and the cast of his new film, Manchurian Candidate, which is opening in a couple of months or something like that. It was really a preview uh, uh, piece. It might get reproduced in movie magazines. It might get... uh, you know, any place where there were news that might have to do with movies, and, and they wanted a visual alternative because although a lot of Hirschfeld's contemporaries lost out when most publications went to uh, photographs rather than hand-drawn illustrations, um, Hirschfeld, again, occupied a world unto himself. He brought something different, too, I think. Yeah, his drawings were so unique that people wanted, the art directors and editors understood that having a Hirschfeld drawing meant that you were going to have an audience because right. they were going to look at it whether they were interested in the subject or not. Or looking maybe, for the Ninas. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe they're just looking for Ninas. But right. the important thing to those producers is they looked at the drawing. Right. Um, for Hirschfeld, of course, it was about the drawing, but that's another story. <laughs> and he also does a, a regular straight—not a straight drawing, but a a regular drawing of the cast, uh, summarizing the film, not giving away you know any spoilers. You know, in classic yeah, so, Hirschfeld fashion. And for those of you who don't know the Manchurian Candidate, it is a story about a group of Korean uh, war veterans who come back to the United States who turned out have been brainwashed by the Koreans. And one of them is the son of a political candidate running for president. And the idea is that he will assassinate this person and there will actually be uh, a communist takeover of the American government because of this. And I mean... Uh, foreign invention in American politics. Uh, Who would have thunk it? Yeah, uh, it was <laughs> it was controversial in its day, right. and now we call it today's news. <laughs> Time is a flat circle. Yes. <laughs> now, um, because it involved an assassination of a president, a lot of lore has grown grown up around the film. Because after it it finished its initial run, it wasn't seen for a long time. 
And this rumor grew up that Sinatra had pulled it uh, because he was a friend of the Kennedys. And after the Kennedy assassination... The first Kennedy assassination. That would be John Kennedy. uh, uh, The rumor was that Sinatra thought it was inappropriate to be having a film out about a presidential assassination. Mm -hmm. Which I, I think makes... I mean, I could see that as a thing that Sinatra would do. But the fact is, Sinatra didn't actually control the film at that time. He right, would not was, actually have control the still, film until 1972. Right. It was still a United Artists. They had yeah. the rights to it. And it um, turns out that it was shown at different times. Uh, right. But, you know, this lore grew up around it. Yeah. And uh, Well, um, I think if it came out in 1962, I'm sure by November 1963, it had probably run its course in movie theaters. Yes. You know. I mean, I know, I'm sure movies were played a lot longer because it took a long time to, you know, get the movie across the United States and in all the right theaters, but it seems like it was probably just timing that right. made that happen. Um, and I, yeah, that's but kind Herb, of But that's, you know, the uh, popular culture lore. Um, yeah. You know, it's when still it is, interesting. It, it, it is, is I interesting. Mean, it, and I remember growing up not seeing the film, and when it sort of got... Uh, when it started to come around a lot more, you know, right. you could get it on uh, VHS. VHS. I mean, it just uh, dates me terribly. I do know what a VHS is. Well, when you could get it at a Blockbuster video. Oh, my God. I had a Blockbuster card. Yes. Um, Although I was a Hollywood video kind of girl. We came out of the cave. We went and got our videos, and then we went back to the cave. Uh, but in those days, you know, when it, so when it was available at Blockbuster Video... You know, I, I remember renting it like, really? wow, we can finally see Manchurian Candidate. Oh, wow. And I always thought it was a devastating film. It's, it's a really, if you haven't seen it, uh, and I know Catherine hasn't seen all of it. That's not true. I started it, and it was not my cup of tea. Which is strange, because I love brainwashing. and <laughs> <laughs> Who loves brainwashing? Well, I like the, you know, it's like the conspiracy side. You know, you always want to see that. It's always fun. Uh, but it was not my cup of tea, so I didn't finish it. But perhaps after this podcast, after we finish this podcast, I will go and watch it. I would certainly encourage anybody who has not seen the movie to go see it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there was a remake in, I think, around 2008 uh, or Maybe sometime. 2004? I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, know I don't remember exactly when. With Denzel Washington that I've never seen that might be as good. Mm. But there is something about the original black and white Manchurian Candidate that has a sort of spookiness to it. Angela Lansbury, as you've never seen her before. Yeah, I know Newsweek, like, um, I saw a thing where Newsweek had voted her one of the top ten villains of all time. Right. I don't even think I made it to the part in the film where she was in the film. Oh, no. Because I don't remember her, you know, It's a shame. I'll watch it. It's very wonderful. (laughs) Anyway, so Hirschfeld did these two great drawings of... uh, um, uh, of the Manchurian Candidate, but his relationship with Sinatra would continue. Um, he mm-hmm. would continue to draw films that's, uh, that Sinatra was in, uh, did drawings for United Artists, and then in 1977, he did a TV Guide cover. Which is lovely. Yeah, it's really one of uh, the more than 40 TV Guide covers that Hirschfeld did. Um, and this was not in a TV production or a uh, uh, a film. Was this this like was a, him in performance as a singer. A concert. Yeah, and gotcha. this is really what the rest of uh, the drawings are like. It, right, He right. really captures him at different times. There's, There's one with him in Pavarotti. 
Oh, there's a yeah, it's a great one. They did a benefit concert together, and the two of them arm in arm singing. <laughs> um, in 1983, the Smithsonian asked Hirschfeld to do a drawing of the great singers, and he, uh, you know, and uh, are gathered around a piano is uh, Fred Astaire and Tony Bennett and Ella Fitzgerald, and of course Sinatra and Bing Crosby, Lena Horne, Judy Garland, Nat King Cole. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a really iconic piece. And, and there's a partner to that piece, a uh, great songwriter. Oh, yeah. Which has like Rodgers and Hammerstein, uh, Irving Berlin. Oh, Cole Porter, yeah. Johnny Mercer, Duke Ellington, uh, Dorothy Fields. Gotcha. Um, it's it's a really. Yeah, those so are it's like two it's two companion pieces. Two companion pieces. Uh, which They're are very great. popular. Um, when uh, Carnegie Hall celebrated its 100th anniversary, Business Week commissioned uh, a, a wonderful drawing of all the great performers who had played Carnegie Hall. And, of course, Sinatra is in that, along with Marian Anderson, of course, Tchaikovsky, who who conducted the first um, performance there. Oh, I didn't the, know that. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Beatles, hmm. Isaac Stern, uh, Leontine Price, Pablo Casals, um, Maria Callas. Uh, so Sinatra's in very good company there. Oh, yeah. Um, and then the uh, he, and, you know, just like Hirschfeld was producing well into his 80s and 90s, Sinatra was producing uh, new albums. He when right. he did his album duets, which were an album he did uh, doing songs with uh, of a wide variety of performers. When the article came out in the New York Times, the front uh, page above the fold drawing, uh, the arts and leisure section was a Hirschfeld drawing of mm. Sinatra singing. Right. You know. So uh, and it's those kind of drawings that you know Sinatra would see in the paper or magazine or. A, uh, uh, any place and he and his wife Barbara would uh, call up Hirschfeld and say we'd like to have that one for our collection <laughs> so I mean they, they really acquired some really great drawings over the years which is very common for anyone drawn by Hirschfeld oh yes uh, uh, Oscars are wonderful and Emmys and Tonys are wonderful yeah. But people don't like to look at them as much as they like to look at Hirschfeld drawings. Right. And so even if the show uh, is not a big hit, if you've got a Hirschfeld drawing of it, it actually seems a lot better yeah, than it might have been. that's all you need. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the thing that people care about. Right. Uh, and so when Hirschfeld was honored by the Friars Club, they didn't do a full roast of Hirschfeld in the mid-90s, but they, they did this tribute to him. And, of course, they reached out to all the different people uh, that knew uh, Hirschfeld and and who were friends of the Friars Club. And, and uh, Sinatra had actually held a leadership position at the Friars Club. Hmm. I think he was an abbot or something like that. Um, and uh, he couldn't attend that night. He was getting up there in age, uh, and he couldn't wasn't going to fly across the country. But he sent a, he sent a note in, and he had said uh, then uh, that to him nothing epitomized New York in the forties and fifties more than Hirschfeld's drawings, mm. because and and that was true. I think of a lot of people. Yeah, um, wasn't an uncommon opinion. Right. Uh, Frank Rich, who uh, um, came to New York and would eventually become the New York Times theater critic and then an op-ed writer and then now is a producer uh, of Veep um, oh, and has, a, um, you know, has had an incredible career. Hmm. He said that when he came to New York, uh, he thought everyone would look like Hirschfeld drawings <laughs> because that was his vision of New York. If you, When people thought of New York, they thought of Hirschfeld. Right. You know, that was in many ways the center of American culture. Mm. Uh, so um, 
Sinatra wasn't too different than than uh, anybody than else. Anybody else, right? Um, and what's amazing about Sinatra's career in Hirschfeld is that Hirschfeld would draw him in so many different sort of venues. Mm-hmm. He drew him in advertisements. He drew him in magazines. He drew him in newspapers. He drew him on album covers right. and show posters and uh, all, all those things. Uh, so Hirschfeld and, and Sinatra were sort of uh, intertwined from a very early age uh, and all throughout Sinatra's career. And even after Sinatra passed away, Hirschfeld was still getting commissions of people who wanted Hirschfeld drawings of Sinatra. Mm, interesting. And, and there are a number, uh, over the years, a number of uh, limited edition etchings and lithographs have yeah, been published. Yeah, there are quite a few. And I know, what was it, two years ago, um, the Grammy Museum did an exhibition on Frank Sinatra. Oh, yeah. And we loaned, I think, five. Six. Six Sinatra prints to them. Um, and we've had people tell us, uh, like, it, it traveled, so it came to the New York Public Library, or it started at the New York Public Library, is that right? Right. And then it went to the West Coast, and people, we've had several people come and tell us that it was the central focus of the show. Right. That people just loved the Hirschfelds of Sinatra in the show. and Because it captured him at all different parts of his career. Right, right. And they were contemporaneous drawings. These were not retrospective drawings. They were done this... at the time and really right. captured what Sinatra was doing right then and there. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it, uh, it's, it, for, for Hirschfeld, that's what he liked to do. He liked to draw from life. And when he had the opportunity, the drawings have a, a, a they capture, you know, he, like an amber right. or something. He's capturing that sort of action and, and uh, the life quality of, the, of his subjects. Right. And in this case, I mean, in the case of the Manchurian Candidate, uh, capturing uh, an important moment in American history with John and, Glenn. And one of the last uh, pieces that he did, actually, was of Sinatra, Dean Martin, and Sammy oh, Davis. Oh, yeah, the summit. Yeah, the summit. That's it's a nice a, It's a nice piece. Uh, a really great image of Sinatra, and all, of all three of them. Um, uh, a, a late-in-the-game uh, etching um, mm. that uh, Hirschfeld did. That shows that he hasn't lost any of his power. This was 2002, right? Right. And, yeah, so, I mean, one of his last drawings, it has to be. Uh, well, certainly... Depending um, on what time of the year, but I mean... It was September 2002, so, so yes, yeah, it was pretty late in the game. Right, and, and and you would not know. No. There's no indication at all that this man is 99. Hirschfeld didn't decline, he just stopped. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this was a good... We had a lot of things here. We had the JFK assassination attempt. Are there any Kennedy stories with Hirschfeld? I mean, I know he's met Roosevelt, and he met Johnson, Right. Uh, uh, he didn't. He met Kennedy, but not when he was president. Uh, mm. Hirschfeld told me that he met a young Jack Kennedy at a party that uh, Gloria Vanderbilt had thrown. Uh, Hirschfeld in the forties hung out with these three young women who right. were friends of his. Did they have a name? Was, did their group have a name? I think they did. I don't remember. I think they what did it was. too, but I can't remember. But it right. was it was uh, Gloria Vanderbilt. Carol Grace, who would marry Hirschfeld's very good friend, William Soroyan, mm. not once but twice, <laughs> and and would eventually marry Walter Matthau, who was also a very good friend of Hirschfeld's. <laughs> so uh, Carol Grace couldn't seem to escape the Hirschfeld right. orbit. Oh, that's funny. And then the last one was Una Chaplin. Una O'Neill. Was she Una Chaplin at the time? Oh, no, she was oh, Una she was O'Neill. O'Neill. She was the daughter of Eugene O'Neill. And, and Hirschfeld was actually a friend of O'Neill's. So, gotcha. I mean, there, sure- for him, it was uh, he was very... These were... Uh, I'm sure he looked sort of, I wouldn't say fatherly to him, because Hirschfeld, mm. he accepted everybody as a peer. 
right. know, that was one of his also great gifts. Um, but he was very, uh, they, they had a lot of fun times together. Mm. Uh, and they were at a party one night and he met a young Jack Kennedy. Oh, uh, cool. He probably met him in other places as well, mm. uh, but uh, never was at the Kennedy White House. Gotcha, gotcha. That's interesting. All right. Uh, anything else before we wrap up with the Manchurian Candidate? No, it's just one of the many great uh, drawings he did for United yeah, Artists. Yeah, and it has a great story behind it. Um, there are a few drawings like that that really capture an important moment in American history. Oh, yeah, world, um, world, and world history. So, yeah, there'll be more like that. We have plenty of things to talk <laughs> Don't about. Don't worry, we're not running out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of a cliffhanger right now for the next episode, so I think we'll just end it. <laughs> Okay. Um, Well, thank you very much for listening. If you like the podcast and you can post a review on iTunes, that's a great way to let people know about it. Mm -hmm. And we'd appreciate that. Our website is alhirschfeldfoundation.org. You can go and look up all the drawings of Frank Sinatra. um, Or anybody else. Or anyone else. (laughs) No, just the Frank Sinatra (laughs) drawings. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Not true. No, that's not true. Uh, And then alhirschfeldfoundation.org slash podcast with an S at the end. That's where you'll find the show notes and all the episodes. S for Sinatra. Oh, that's right. S for Sinatra. Okay. Next week we'll... Uh, Why did you start this? I don't know. For... I just wanted to make sure that you knew it wasn't podcast. It is podcast yes, with in the an plural. S, S for Sinatra this week. Um, that's where the show notes will be, all the drawings. You know, I'll post links to the specific things we've talked about today. Um, and then we're on Facebook, the Al Hirschfeld Foundation. Post and, every day. Yep. And Twitter and uh, Instagram at Al Hirschfeld. And write us in if you have questions about this episode or you have suggestions, um, what you want to hear. You can contact us on our website or you can also email info at alhirschfeldfoundation.org. Just make sure you spell Hirschfeld right. H-I-R-S-C-H-F-E-L-D. It's not Hirschfield. It's not Hirschfield. It's Hirschfeld. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And if you are unclear of what how to spell it, look at the podcast name. It's That's right there. That's true. It's right, it should be right on the album art. That's true. I didn't even think of that. All uh, right. Well, thank it. you very much for listening. <laughs> we'll see you again. See you next time. Bye.